All right. Any dads in the house? Any dads in the house? Come on, raise your hand. Give me a shout. Let me see where you are. All right. Awesome. Okay. This one's for you. Okay. You ready? Don't fail me here. Why was the dollar bill stressed? Because it was always afraid of change. That was a dad joke. That's yours. That's in your arsenal now. I'm just, that's a freebie. Change. I got a confession for you. Just going to be honest with you, coming out of the gates. By the way, this is the second time we've attended services at Christian Life Center. We came a couple months ago and I sat right there. Right there. And then we sat right there. And it was awesome. Here's my confession I don't like change. Anybody else? Yeah, it's okay. We're in church. You should be honest, okay? You don't have to lie here. The truth is, I like routine. I like restaurants with rewards. I like big, comfy recliners watching football on Sundays. I just like to be comfortable. Anybody else? I remember an experience with my little brother who actually pastors uh, north of Cincinnati, uh, just a, a few miles north of Cincinnati, he pastors a church called New Heights down in Fairfield. He's two years younger than me, and we were at the top of the Ferris wheel, and you know what stops people get on? He starts to shake the thing. And I just remember feeling terrified. Justin, stop. Can't we just have a peaceful time watching all the crazy people at the county fair from 200 feet above them? As a kid, we moved around a lot because my dad's job changed a lot. And inevitably, there would be the moment that I knew would come at every new school I would go to. The day that you would go to school for the first time and you'd walk into the cafeteria and you would get to the doorway and you would start scanning and you'd be asking yourself the question, where am I going to sit Everybody has their friends and their connections and their circles, and I'm trying to work my way into something, feel like an outsider. And I've learned that change is the only constant in this world, which makes it difficult for people like me. When I was 14, I mentioned that I felt called into ministry, and I naively prayed a prayer. Have you ever naively prayed a prayer? Lord, give me patience. He'll give you a toddler. If you don't have a toddler, I've got a couple of them that you can borrow, okay? But he'll give you patience. And I, I prayed that prayer, Lord, I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything as long as I know it's really you. And he's taken me up on it. And hopefully I've grown. Hopefully I've become more adventurous and courageous. Hopefully I go with the flow, <laughs> That was interesting in Denver, going with the flow with three kids. Here we go. I'll tell you, Pastor Stan has done a wonderful job these past few weeks, framing change as opportunity. You probably already know this, but you know your pastor is kind of a unicorn. <laughs> He's irreplaceable. A lot of wisdom, a lot of depth, an amazing leader, an amazing pastor. But I love the way that he has framed this idea of change through the lens of opportunity. And this statement, this question has really resonated with me. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
We know that God works together for good, all things for those that love him and who are called according to his purpose. And there's all sorts of change that are, changes that are happening all around us. But what's scarier for me specifically are not the changes that I can't control, because that's the reality, you can't control them, but the changes that I'm involved in, the changes that occur as a result of my choices, our choices. You see, so, so much of our lives are based on the choices that we make And the scary part of any decision are the what-ifs. What if we choose something that doesn't work out the way we thought it was supposed to work out? What if we choose wrong? What if we choose the wrong major? What if we choose the wrong spouse? What if we choose the wrong career or we make a bad career decision or we move when we're not supposed to and before long we're asking what if, what if, what if? And it's like this paralysis by analysis. Francis Chan who wrote the book Crazy Love, says, our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at the things in life that don't really matter. So I'm going to ask the simple question to Christian Life Center this morning. What single choice changes every other choice that we will ever make? I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 10. I've got my physical Bible here, John chapter 10. We're going to look at the first 18 verses and we're going to unpack it. And I'm going to pray that God encourages us. I've titled this message, The Good Shepherd. If you want a cooler sermon title, it's titled, The Choice Before the Choice. My name's Jordan Hansen, and I just especially want to welcome our online community, the Christian Life Center community, and those who are tuning in from other places, welcome. And I want to say a special thank you to Pastor Stan, and to Joyce, to the board, to the advisory board, and to the search team for extending this opportunity for us to join you this morning. As you're uh, turning with me in your Bibles, I want to ask that question again, and then I want to give a little background on the text that we're going to read. What single choice changes every other choice we will ever make? So in this passage that we're going to look at, the background is really important. Jesus is responding to a very specific situation that he has learned has resulted in the Pharisees kicking out someone from the synagogue. In the previous chapter. Now, you got to remember when John wrote this, there were no titles or verses. So you, when you memorize verses, you, you, it's, it's always important to think about what's happening before and after. And to be totally honest, I, didn't really, I hadn't really studied this particular passage until the Lord put this passage on my heart to preach. I've never preached it before. At the same time, I've memorized this verse since I was a kid, and I never knew really all of what was all around it. Uh, so context matters. So here's the context. Jesus had healed a man born blind on the Sabbath in chapter 9, and the Pharisees are investigating. They're trying to figure out where does this guy come from? Is he a sinner or is he from God? Is he a prophet or is he a demon-possessed person? And when they couldn't get the newly seeing man to agree with their sinner label, they kicked him out of the synagogue, the newly seeing man, that is. And then Jesus finds him, and then he confirms with this man that he is indeed the Son of Man, a title that Jesus uses often, taken from the book of Daniel. And the book of Daniel uses the Son of Man as a title for a godlike man or a messianic figure. And now the blind man is seeing both physically, but now as Jesus explains further to him the truth, he's seeing spiritually. And the text reveals in John chapter 9 that he actually worships him. Now think about how crazy that is. This is a Jewish person worshiping a human. This would have been pretty intense. And the Pharisees, of course, protest. They, they freak out. So Jesus tells the parable of the good shepherd where, in the first six verses, he's gathering a flock. 
Much like churches gather the flock on Sunday mornings or whenever they gather, they gather the flock. Then they're scattered, but they gather the flock on Sunday morning. And then the good shepherd in 7 through 10, he gives that flock life, abundant life, the text says. And then in verses 11 through 18, it describes how he gives them life. He gives them life by laying down his life and then picking up his life through the cross and through the resurrection. By the way, the opposite of what the thief has come to do. So let's go ahead and read chapter 10, verses 1, all the way through 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But the one who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep listen to his voice. And he calls his sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts all his own sheep outside, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. However, a stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus told them this figure of speech, but they did not understand what the things which he was saying to them meant. So Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All those who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came so that they would have life and have it abundantly. Now, if you're the memorizing type, if you've got your highlighter, highlight John 10.10. That is a great verse. I'm going to go ahead and read it one more time. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came so that they would have life and have it abundantly. Don't you love it when Jesus makes it so explicitly clear as to why he came? You don't need to infer anything. He's stating it so clearly there. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf, the wolves coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters the flock. He flees because he's a hired hand and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. By the way, if you're not Jewish, he's talking about you here. You were the other sheep that he had in mind. So he's speaking to a Jewish crowd, he's letting them know through a parable, through a story, and they can't quite figure it out, that there's more than just Jewish people that he's come to save. I'm grateful for that, aren't you? Praise God. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it back. No one has taken it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it back, the cross and the resurrection. This is the command I have received from my Father. Let's go ahead and bow our heads. Father, we just ask that you would open up our hearts, Holy Spirit, that you would bring conviction into our hearts. We know that transformation comes when you speak and we respond. Let us not be people who dig into your word and then turn around and remain unchanged. So I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, you are so good. You have led us to this point, and I pray that you would encourage us today. In Jesus' name, amen. I've noticed that everybody chooses to follow someone or something. 
In this passage, Jesus calls you and I sheep. Now, in today's culture, that's a little offensive, right? I mean, I don't want to be called a sheep, and yet that's exactly what he he does. Now, why does he call us sheep? I want to show you a video, and maybe we'll figure some things out. All right, turns out Jesus has correctly identified me. Anybody else? You know, I want to make an aside here. Sometimes we do get offended by the things Jesus said, and it says in Scripture, and I want you to know that's a good thing. It's a good thing for Jesus to offend you because there are parts of us that need to die so that other parts can be resurrected and begin to live. And so when we take Scripture, I know a lot of people want Scripture to be something that submits to them, but that's not how it's designed. Scripture is the only living book, the Bible, and it only works when you're reading it, when it's reading you. And that's what happens. So I like to say it like this. We read scripture, and we submit to it. We don't force it to submit to us. I'm so grateful that Jesus knows me better than anyone else, and he can speak to me very specifically. But he knows that we don't always make the best decisions, and sometimes we don't always choose the best influences. Now, I grew up with an amazing grandma. We called her Grandma Bubbles because she was so joyful. She was a pastor's wife, and her, her name was Esther, her sister Gladys, her sister Dolores, they used to love the WWF. (laughs) They'd get Cheetos and cinnamon rolls, and they'd get pay-per-view. They'd rent the Royal Rumble, and guess what my brother and I would do? We would go to their house. My parents did not know what was happening. They later would. And my grandma, and we'd, we'd be watching Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan and the Junkyard Dog and Rowdy Roddy Piper. Come on, you know who I'm talking about. The good old days. Now it's just, oh, scary. And I'll never forget that moment when Hulk Hogan tried to body slam the Andre the Giant and he had him held up and all of a sudden he just felt backward. Do you remember that? Well, I decided to try that on my brother that night. (laughs) Didn't work out so well. My parents grounded us from watching that from then on. We couldn't watch The Karate Kid. We couldn't watch He-Man, and I'll add all sorts of stories later. But that's because my parents knew that we were so influenceable, if that's a word. And we really, we need, humans need godly influences because we naturally follow someone or something for good or for bad. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. We follow people we respect or admire for good and bad. Sports heroes, teachers, political figures, celebrities, parents, for good and bad. Maybe you had parents that weren't so great. Maybe you had parents that were amazing. We follow and are influenced by things like peer pressure, social media, the news or fake news, busy schedules, substances, again, It can be good or it can be bad. It can be amazing or it can be terrible. It can lead us down a good path or it can lead us down a really treacherous path. And whether 
I'm in Washington State or Missouri or Tennessee or California, or, or if God leads us to Ohio, I realize this is true. Everybody follows someone or something. And people need influences worth following. But the question becomes, who should we be following? And this text reminds us of the exclusive claims that Jesus tells couched in a story so people, people don't quite hear the intensity of his exclusivity, but there is only one worth following. There's only one worth following. Why? Because most of the things and the people that we follow most of the time do not have our best interests in mind. Um, Social media has just really decentralized information and knowledge and teaching. But how many of you know that literally anyone can start a social media account and start talking like they know something? TikTok really scares me because a lot of our young people are being indoctrinated with all sorts of terrible theology, terrible ideas, and, 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 and they just don't realize it, the level of impact and influence. Generation Z, be careful who you follow on TikTok. Because just because the, the influencer that you're following has a million or billion followers does not mean they're worth following. Jesus says the thief wants to steal, kill, and destroy. I mean, he just doesn't leave any bones there. He leaves, the thief leaves us empty-handed, dead, and forgotten. So who is the thief? Let's unpack this a bit. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell that neighbor who you think this person is. If you watched the, podcast, or the video last night, don't say anything. All right, turn to your neighbor. <laughs> Who's the thief? Tell your neighbor. All right, I want you to turn to the neighbor that you don't like as much and tell them who you think the thief is. You know, I first started reading this passage, I've always thought it was the devil. Man, this is Satan. Now, we know the devil is out to get us. We have lots of passages in Scripture that can verify that. But it's not specifically the devil in this text. It's actually the Pharisees because of the context. Remember, they just kicked this guy out. They had led this guy away from Jesus. And they had crawled over the rock wall and they were leading people away from Jesus because they think he's demon-possessed and he's telling them, no, no, I'm, I'm actually the one that's supposed to be here. They don't recognize who he is. Here's an honest question, you know, as we think about this part of the parable. What has crawled over the rock wall into your life and led you away from Jesus? What influence, what leader, what substance, whatever it is that has crawled over the rock wall where you're hanging out doing life and led you away from Jesus. This is the warning that Jesus gives. Thieves deliver empty lives full of stuff, empty religion, empty fame, empty power, empty sex, no meaning because there's no Jesus. Thieves leave us empty-handed, dead, and forgotten. That's the end of those choices to follow thieves. But the good news is that there's a good shepherd in this passage whose purpose is for his flock to have an abundant life. In other passages, he says a full life, a fulfilling life, a life to the full. And remember, the context of this passage is, is it, it might be something that you recognize. Maybe you've heard this before. But so, when I first read it, I thought, how can Jesus be a shepherd and a door at the same time? And uh, what, what would happen for, for these shepherds is they would be 
you know, taking the flock out to graze and sometimes be far away from their house and their home pen. So they would build a rock wall enclosure. And there, of course, there's nothing to make a door. So the shepherd would sleep in the doorway at night so that nothing could get into the pen to get to the sheep. And the sheep couldn't get out and be terrorized by the predators that are out there. And so, yes, Jesus is not only the shepherd that is guiding them, but he's also the door that is allowing them to stay protected inside that rock wall pen. And so nothing could get in or out. And that's what that means. So here's the beautiful thing. Jesus is the shepherd and the door to let the sheep in and out. And as we listen to his voice, we will experience the abundant life. If we have relationship with the good shepherd, we are his sheep, and Jesus has a higher purpose for our lives. So what does the abundant life mean? I mean, what does that look like for us? Well, a shepherd guides, a shepherd provides, a shepherd cares for his sheep, and they hear and recognize him. He protects them from predators, and he does that specifically through this text he reveals by laying down his life and so he says that he has the authority to take it up again. In other words, through the cross, which is impending, people don't know what's going to happen, and through the resurrection. Our life through Jesus comes through his death and resurrection. It comes through our relationship with the good shepherd. This is what it means to be led into an abundant life in a relationship with him, in a relationship with each other, and a relationship with the mission that he's called us to live out. Christian Life Center, what is the Christian life as it's been defined in this community? Anybody think you might know? If you hear language that sounds familiar, I want you to just join in with me. The Good Shepherd desires us to know God, be His people, value others, and change the world through a God-sized vision. This stuff matters for eternity. Know God. Be his people. Value others and change the world through a God-sized vision. And it might sound too good to be true. And every believer who chooses to follow Jesus eventually gets to a place where they feel like their faith has been thwarted or stunted. And I remember... That moment for me was not long after uh, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit a few years and my dad was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And I had seen my dad go from the Air Force to law enforcement to going to Gonzaga Law School, getting his law degree, becoming a prosecuting attorney and arguing cases before the state Supreme Court. And then he gave it all up and planted a church. I remember because I was on the church planning team, I was the best fifth grade sound technician that you would ever experience. I mean, I was not good at all. But church planners are desperate. And we had an amazing time. Then he called our family together and we were going to go to the mission field. We were going to go to Panama. We were excited about reaching the unreached in Panama. The Kuna Indians, the, one of the shortest statured people on the face of the planet. My dad was 5'4". He was excited to finally be the center on the basketball team. 
And then he was diagnosed with this brain tumor, and, and from that point on, everything went crazy. And, and, and I've questioned, Lord, what is the abundant life if you give us these dreams, and then we go on these detours, and all these things happen? Have you ever had something happen to you where you're just questioning? You're in a season of waiting. You're trying to figure out what it meant. The choice that you made didn't work out, or the choice that happened to you is not working out the way that you think it was supposed to work out. It's a big objection. And for eight years, my dad lived a sermon. He finally passed away about a year before his death. I asked him the question. In a, I, I was upset with God. I was in seminary studying healing. I, I'm watching my dad go through this. And I asked my dad, I said, Dad, do you regret? I mean, do you, do you regret anything? Do you regret how you've lived? Do you regret that this is all you can do? And he said something to me that I'll never forget. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than a prince living the life of comfort. His favorite verse being lived out, I will not give God something that costs me nothing. You know, my dad understood that the abundant life, even while dying of brain cancer, was connected to the quality of relationship that he had with his shepherd. Because it wasn't just any shepherd. It was a shepherd worth following. A shepherd that laid down his life and took it up again. Who else are you going to follow if you can't follow the shepherd that lays down his life for you and then leads you to resurrection because that's what he had the authority to do and he has the authority to do that for you. On his tomb reads John eleven twenty five. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. You know, sometimes we think that when we become Christians or believers that all, everything is going to be good. And that's where we've mismanaged people's expectations. Jesus never says everything is going to be good when we choose to follow Jesus. One of my mentors, Bill Doctrum, says choosing Jesus doesn't mean we won't die. It means we'll know how to die. Friends, the quality of our lives is directly tied to the quality of our relationship with Jesus and hearing his voice. As we develop spiritual rhythms in our life, as we dig into scripture, as we spend time in prayer, as we fast, as we rest, as we practice silence and solitude and walking out suffering with God, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, we will experience the abundant life because he's with us. When Randy Young first called me, I was very content pastoring Mesa Church. I am very content pastoring Mesa Church. There are, there are superficial things I like about California. There are spiritual things I like about California. But I'll be honest, California has its challenges. <laughs> but praise God, I survived the pandemic. Come on, let's give Jesus a hand clap. <laughs> and I got a lot of good friends, Bible-believing, spirit-led, mission-motivated pastors who are living like missionaries, and Jesus is good. So when he first called me, I was very content pastoring Mesa Church. My wife is thriving. We're doing well. My good shepherd is leading me to still waters and green pastures, restoring my soul. And then I had a conversation with your pastor. I was kind of blown away by some of the parallels, kind of surprised, really taken back by the incredible, powerful vision of the God-sized vision Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. It was exciting. But I'm going to be totally honest with you. It kind of freaked me out. 
it freaked me out just a little. And for the last three months, I've been really trying to navigate this in my heart and in my spirit, talking to God about it, talking to my wife about it, praying about it, asking myself, what, what would we be giving up? Do I want to start all over again? Is this going to be good for my family? Would I want to be living 45 minutes away from my brother? <laughs> or an hour and a half away from Tara's older brother, who's like 6'5". He could hurt me. Can I survive the cold? What if I can't stop eating Buckeyes? That one's true. <laughs> Would a church that has followed Pastor Stan for 33 years be willing to follow another pastor? Or worse, would, would I be a sacrificial lamb after such a long and successful pastorate? Because there may be some similarities with Pastor Stan, but I know I'm not Pastor Stan. Again, irreplaceable. <laughs> You know, when this church moved onto this property in 1980, I was born. <laughs> am, I too, am I too young? <laughs> am I too old? I called TikTok Tic-Tac last night. I lost all my points with Generation Z. Am I too young? Am I too old? Fear, doubt, uncertainty, intimidation, anxiety, all of the wolves that will eat you for lunch Unless you can hear his voice. <laughs> then I began to hear my shepherd's voice. Jordan, I've been with you. You didn't survive California because you're strong. But good on you for thinking that. <laughs> you survived the pandemic because I was with you. And when you moved from the grassy lawn outside the auditorium, because that's where you could meet, to a parking lot in a hotel where nobody could hear anything and you still worshiped. And then you moved into the ballrooms. And then you were like, you know, one of the number one guys on the chair moving team before and after and set up and tear down. And you found that building. It wasn't before the pandemic. We did all this in the pandemic. And then restarting in Irvine and and the 50% of the people that didn't move out of California. <laughs> How many of you moved out of California? I just want to, I, I've already met a couple, okay? So, <laughs> yeah, they, may, they moved to places like Ohio. I'm with you, Jordan. I'm with you. And I will be with you. I'm so grateful for a good shepherd who knows me, who has been with me. And regardless of what happens this weekend, he's my shepherd. <laughs> and your life will be barraged by choices. There will be opportunity costs associated with each. And change is coming, you won't see coming. But Jesus can be your anchor, your good shepherd, the stability when everything around you is chaos. And Tara and I trust the voice of the good shepherd no matter where he leads, to Antarctica or to the Bahamas. We chose a long time to follow the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day. We're following Jesus, not opportunities or family or weather. We follow our shepherd. 
Christian Life Center, no choice is more important than the decision to follow the only shepherd worth following, and his name is Jesus. You have to choose your shepherd wisely. And no, I am not talking about the vote tonight. I understand it's a significant decision. But there is a choice before the choice that matters more than the vote tonight. It matters more than any detail in your life because if you choose to follow Jesus, you may not know the future, but your hands will be in the one who knows the future and who can lead you into an abundant life. You have to choose the shepherd wisely. After 40 years of leading so successfully, Joshua stands up in front of the congregation of Israel in Joshua chapter 24. He, he knows a leadership transition is about to happen. And he says this after explaining, look at everything God has done. So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the, the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates, or will it be the gods of the Amorites and those in whose land you, that you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Friends, you have to choose. Christian Life Center, you have to choose. We don't serve a God of comfort. We serve Christ. And no matter where he leads, we will follow. Tara and I are no different than you. We follow the shepherd. And so if God calls you to Florida or God calls you to Canada or God calls you to South Africa, guess what? You have to go. God does give you a choice, but he seems to always win. What is the Christian life? It is a life led by the good shepherd who fills our lives with what matters for eternity. Would you join me? Knowing God, being his people, valuing others and changing the world through a God-sized vision stuff that matters and when we choose Jesus we don't have to be afraid of the choices that bring change because he is our constant even when everything around us is changing we can trust that where he leads us he will love us where he guides us he will grow us where he wants us he will make a way wherever you are and wherever you are going because nothing can stop him. If God is for us, if God is for us, that second one was not as good. <laughs> I want to challenge you today to choose Jesus. I want to challenge every person in this room to commit or to recommit your life to Christ today. I don't think it's a bad thing every morning when you wake up to recommit your life to Christ. And if you choose to commit or recommit your life to Christ today, I'm going to ask you to stand up on the count of three. One, two, three. And I invite you to sing this simple song with the worship team because I tried this last night and I was not good. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. Who's to follow you today? with all of our hearts, with all of our strength, 
with all of our souls, there's no turning back. There's no turning back. You know the future, and we trust you with it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made the choice to follow Jesus for the first time today or for the first time in a long time, I want to encourage you to visit the Welcome Center after service. Christian Life Center has a gift for you, and we have some next steps for your relationship with Jesus Christ. Would you help us close our service in worship to the Good Shepherd?